0: Belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for January 22nd, 2023 is called Wilderness 101. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Cop Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is John Ray. Really glad to hear, have you here at Grace Church this morning. Whether you're here in this room atop Mount Sequoia, where we are for just a little, little while longer, or whether you're joining on Zoom or listening on the podcast, we're really glad that you're here. <coughs> a uh, student of mine recently wrote a reflection in the class that I'm teaching, and he wrote this He said, I find myself wishing that I that Jesus would just flip the switch and turn me into a complete and mature, a completely mature and wise man. And I wrote in response, like, don't we all? <laughs> I mean, it seems so frustrating at times that we have to learn things by practice or by experience. It seems inefficient in a way to have to come to some of our most important insights of life long after we feel we could have used them. It's so long after that, right? But when it comes, But when we come to Jesus and see that in a very real way, he had to experience things fully to understand and inhabit them as well, I think we gain some perspective. I think it helps us to be patient. Now, before you go calling me a heretic, saying there were things that Jesus didn't know, um, just stick with me as we get going in this. In the text that Jennifer read, Jesus is confronted with three temptations. We're all familiar with the story of Jesus going into the wilderness, and there's all types of books and sermons that have been printed about them, and I'm going to try to approach it a little bit different way this morning. Um the, the temptations are to turn rocks into bread, bow down to Satan Satan in exchange for rulership of all the world's kingdoms, and then the final one is to make a public exhibition of an apparent special arrangement that Jesus has with the flanks of guardian angels. Jesus will have none other. But first a little context. One of the things you've probably heard me say this before that's fascinating, John doesn't record this incident, this um, vignette of Jesus' life, but the other synoptic gospels all do. And they all record them relatively the same, with the exception of the word that's used for how Jesus got into the wilderness. One of the gospels says Jesus was called into the wilderness, one says Jesus was sent into the wilderness. And the other says Jesus was literally kicked or compelled into the wilderness. And I think that's interesting to take note of because as we think about the wildernesses that we inevitably encounter in our own life, sometimes sometimes we enter them voluntarily. Sometimes we enter them because we feel they're necessary. We don't necessarily want to do it, but we feel they're necessary. Other times there's no avoiding them. We're, We're thrust into them. So I want to set the stage that that when we talk about the wildernesses, it really doesn't matter how you get there. What matters is what happens when you're there and how you come out of it with that. Um, We also need to remember that this temptation comes immediately after Jesus' baptism. So the words that are spoken Over Jesus, before this temptation wilderness, is this is my dear, this is my one dear son. In him, I take great delight. So, what precedes the wilderness is not is not a rebuke. It's not I'm mad at you. Go to the wilderness, like being sent to your room. It's not oh, you have something to learn, so you're sent to the wilderness as some kind of school. It's, it's almost an affirmation. Now, I don't know about y'all, and of course we're talking metaphorically of wilderness here, but the times that I've <coughs> experienced wilderness in my life, I haven't necessarily seen it as affirmation. It hasn't come as feeling like some kind of reward with that. But, but in the timing where this happens in the Gospels, it seems like that's kind of what's happening here with this. So with that, we also need to understand that the wilderness temptations act as an overture of sorts for Jesus' ministry. Because the temptations don't stop when Jesus exits the wilderness. It's not like he goes in and passes some kind of test and then he doesn't have to do it anymore. No, it, it, just in the same way a good orchestral piece incorporates the different elements of the orchestra that is yet to come. The temptations embody, in a way, the very ministry of Jesus as a whole. There's short little taste of what we're going to experience in longer versions as we get into the full story of Jesus. What we're going to see is that these temptations continue and multiply an increase in intensity. My Throat's a little dry. Sorry, I'm going to take this up. So, we're later going to see that Jesus doesn't turn rocks into bread, but he turns bread into more bread. And that he literally becomes bread for us. And we see this prefigured in the temptations. We're going to see that he will earn rulership of the world by denying taking it by force or claiming it by right, but proving himself through suffering and service. We're going to see that he will ultimately prove his divinity not by casting himself down from the top of the temple, Not by being rescued even from the cross, which he references again. Did you not know that if if I wanted to, I could call my followers, but he allows himself to be nailed to the cross. But he overcomes instead through that, he overcomes death itself by being resurrected and defeating death forever. So in each one of these temptations, we see a prefiguring of the ultimate climax of each of these questions in the life of Jesus as it is to come. In all this, we see the ever-expanding epiphany of who Jesus is and what Jesus is about and what it means for us. But all of that is yet to come as we are here in this story. Here in this text, the story is not yet there. So what do we learn from this? What do we learn from this in the moment that it is happening? We see that Jesus comes to more fully understand who he is through the wilderness temptations. The story of Jesus' life and ministry is one of his own continuing epiphany through what he experienced. So let me explain. Probably the most provocative question that I've ever asked in teaching students or Christians, whether that's a classroom setting, a college setting, a setting like this, is the question when did Jesus know who Jesus was? When was he fully conscious of being a third member of the Trinity? When was he fully conscious that he was present at the very creation of the cosmos, that by his will he was holding together all that is? Was it in the temple that we've already encountered when he was sitting among the rabbis and teaching and they were amazed at this? at his teaching? Was it at the baptism we looked at last week when the Holy Spirit descends as a dove or the Father, the Spirit of God comes down and says, this is my beloved and one son in whom I am well pleased. Was it then? Was it later, as we'll see in the transfiguration when he's on the mountain and he appears and Moses and Elijah come and they're talking to him and and his image is bright. Was it maybe until the very moment of his resurrection, when finally everything was validated, was verified, everything that he believed in, everything that he acted on happened. You could argue for any one of those. But I say when we look at them as a whole, what we see is that Jesus knew he was knowing And then he knew again. And isn't that the way it is with all knowledge for us? When when we talk about Jesus becoming a man, becoming a person, becoming a human being, we have to understand that this this is central to the human experience. That if Jesus didn't come to knowledge in the same way that a human comes to knowledge, he wasn't human. It's not just being flesh and blood. It's not just having eyes and ears and nose and respiratory systems that make us human. It's also the way we come to knowledge, the way we come to comprehension, the way we come to cognition that makes us human. And we know from the testimony of the Gospels that Jesus was, yes, fully God, but also fully human. How many of us have been taught something and our immediate response is i know that this used to be this used to be one of the most irritating things for me i'm gonna, I, I rarely tell stories on my kids but i'm just going to tell you a story on my kids more here <laughs> i'll tell irritating stories on my wife later <laughs> yet yeah, those of you who are parents maybe you experience this when you would when you tell your child something, they go, oh, I know. Their response is, oh, I know. And I want to say, no, you don't, or you wouldn't have. But but the response is, oh, I know. And, and in a way, they're true. They have the information. They are aware of the information. You have not conveyed any new information to them. However, they don't know because they haven't fully experienced it yet. They haven't fully comprehended it. They have have a a comprehensive knowledge, but not an experiential or a full-fledged knowledge of it. And what we see in Jesus' life is that from the very moment of his birth, his mother is singing his identity to him. We're going to talk about this next week when we talk about the the turning the water into wine and the, the influence that Mary had on Jesus' life more fully. But I believe that the very first formation of Jesus' identity was Mary singing, telling him, recounting the story, teaching him, showing him where he fit within the grand picture of Israel with that. It was her love and her her teaching of him that did this. But then, as he gets older and he and he and he starts to go, we we had the experience at the temple we talked about when he was younger, and then we we have to believe and I believe scripture supports it that the major influence in his life, probably in his early teens and early twenties, was his cousin John. And his cousin John, who's who's out in the wilderness, who's calling people to repentance, who's who's in a way understanding Scripture in a very different way, begins teaching his cousin, his younger cousin, by a few months, what, what this means, what Scripture means. And he's filling him in on these little store parts of the story that he didn't know from his mom, from his aunt Elizabeth and, and uncle, and, and he's getting the fuller story with that. And this is what propels him out into the ministry, right? This is what causes him to leave being a carpenter and go out on his own in the ministry and to start calling his disciples that we'll talk about was his belief that he knew it but he didn't know it. He knew it but he was also coming to know it through the experience of it. That as he experienced the things that affirmed the things that he knew and they came into greater focus, greater clarity with that. He proved what he knew to be true by living it. I think that's what we see here in this wilderness. Is God is not punishing Jesus? God is not putting him in some kind of test. Hey, let's see if you really are the Messiah. That's Satan. That's not God. Satan is the accuser over here saying, if you are, if you are, if you are. God has already said, you are. Huge difference, sir. But it takes that experience. It takes Jesus. Oh, no, man shall not live by a bread alone. Yes, but by every word it comes from the mouth of God. He knew that. Now he knows it. Oh, you know what? You no, you don't tempt the Lord your God. You worship. Oh, yeah, no, this is yes. And he comes. He emerges from the wilderness now, knowing what he knew, but knowing it in a much deeper sense. So, so what about us? Well, we need to understand that understanding and wisdom is something formed by experience. I, I love the, I love the, you know, the old saw, the old cliche: "Learn from my mistakes." Right? I, I do. I, I, I don't want people to have to go make their own mistakes, but in some ways, all oh, we have to make our own mistakes. I mean, I don't want you to, but I understand when we do. You have to have your own experience. You have to be able to do it with that. Wisdom and understanding is something formed by experience and often by the temptations we face and overcome. We we fear temptation, and and rightfully so. We should should have a very righteous caution. We don't want to go go tempting temptation. We don't want to go inviting it. But at the same time, when we encounter it, we need to frame it differently, I believe. not punishment, Paul. It's not because you've done something wrong, necessarily. It's not because you have something to prove, either. But maybe there's something there we need to learn. Maybe if we framed it that way, what, what am I supposed to learn by resisting this, by saying no, by walking away from this? What, what, do, what do I need to know about this? Temptations and trials are not a sign of disobedience, punishment, or sin often. They, look, I know I know they can be. But the more I think about it, it doesn't matter, y'all. You could live the perfect life and you're still going to be tempted. If that was even possible, if it was even possible to live the perfect life, you're going to be tempted. You're going to have trials. You're going to have times where you just want to do the thing that's before you, even when you know it's not the right thing to do. The other thing here is we see that Jesus shows us how to overcome temptation. And, and again, lots of lots of sermons that I've heard on this are, are about some kind of formulaic process of how with every temptation, here's a scripture verse to... To you know, like a magic spell you cast, like a patronus. You know, you get your Patronus verse for that temptation. And 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 I don't want to belittle the use of scripture here at all. I think that's a great way. In, like, like just being immersed in scripture helps us with that. But I think the bigger thing is is in our identity. I think the bigger thing is in understanding who we are, who we are in God, who God is to us that helps us resist that. Um, I think it's also, like I said, it's important to know that sometimes there's just stuff for us there to learn. Pay attention. Pay attention in the middle of it with that. Now, there, there's an aside here that I got running down a rabbit trail as I was thinking about this. Because we we see Jesus as his fully formed character. Satan comes in as the, as the antagonist in the story. And I was wondering, as I was story- as I was studying this, I was like, I wonder if there's something here for Satan to learn as well. Like, I wonder if this story isn't just Jesus, what Jesus is doing and showing, but it's also Satan is learning something as well. Satan is the accuser. He's like, if you are, he's the one asking questions, right? If you are, if you are, if I wonder if he got his questions answered. Like I wonder, I wonder what we are demonstrating to the spiritual world. I wonder what we are demonstrating to even the people around us, not, not Satan necessarily, but just our spouse, our siblings, our coworkers. What are others learning from our response? What are others learning from our doing this? You see, this is not just a yay Jesus story. (laughs) But it is profoundly meaningful for us. Y'all know what I mean by a yay Jesus story? It's like, good for Jesus, he did something great. Really doesn't mean anything to me. Oh, he fed the 5,000. Yay, Jesus. I need tacos. Like, like, great, it's a good story, but what does it mean for me? That's not this. This is not a yay Jesus story. This has profound implications for us. It's profoundly meaningful for us. There's a, I've told y'all this before, I have this, this shelf on, on my study, my essential bookshelf, the shelf of books that I'm going to grab if there's ever a fire. I can, I've got them all on one shelf, so I can just go grab that one shelf. At least I make it out with those, be good. And on that shelf is a, is a book called The Solace of Fierce Landscapes by an author named Belton Lane, and it's about encountering God in the harshness of the wilderness. And he wrote this, he says, God can only be met in emptiness by those who come in love, abandoning all effort to control, every need to astound. One of the things that wilderness teaches us is giving up that right to control that need to perform or astound with that. And instead of that, seeing that as a punishment or as some kind of rebuke, maybe that's an invitation. Maybe that's an invitation to experience God like we've never experienced God before. To have those things that we know, known, embodied in us. So i ask the worship team to come up As we wrap this time up, at Grace Church, through our practice of offering hospitality to each other, we come to understand each other. Knowing starts with welcome and being welcomed. This practice helps form who we are becoming and how we understand what it is we believe. Our communion is open to everyone. We're going to ask you as we go this morning when you come up to come up and take the elements, hold them, and then we'll all take them together. And, of course, if you got kids and they need to take them, go ahead. That's fine. They can take them when they, they go back. But most of us will, will hold those and take them all together. Now I want to go back to this comment by the student, the one who said, I wish God would just flip a switch and make me mature and wise. Um. I think this is why I go to I think this is why I go to the wilderness so much and like like volitionally the more I'm there the, the different seasons the more I see the the way that things operate in nature the more that I understand how much of the experience is not in the destination but in the journey how much I understand about myself and about God by the pedal strokes on the trail or the paddle strokes on the river. Um, I'm coming to know things that I know. I, I have the map. I know where I'm going. I, I, see the, I see the weather forecast. I know what's coming, but I don't know it until I do it. until I'm there. And there's a necessity in learning through experience and an empowerment that comes from not just knowing about the story of Jesus, but but in a way living the story. Of Jesus, as far as we can, to identify with Jesus and to know Him who knows us, to know the God who knows us. Y'all, there are no shortcuts. There's no magic pills. There's no flip switch to flip. There's no secret formulas. But there is hope. There is power. There is promise and there is presence. So thank you for being. Here. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.